This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's hardly controversial to say that everybody wants to be happy. In fact, many consider happiness their ultimate goal in life. But is the pursuit of happiness a meaningful goal? Is that the right approach to live life? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor, he's a columnist at The Star and, and also the author of Mindfulness and Emotions, Understanding Your Mind and the Benefits of Being Present. Welcome back to the show, Sandy. It's been a while. How are you? I'm very good, Dashran. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So let's, before we, we talk about the pursuit of happiness itself, let's talk about happiness. What does happiness mean? People have been debating and discussing this question for over two and a half millennia. So, but we can crank it out in five minutes. <laughs> um, so, Epicurus, the ancient Greek philosopher, he had this um, idea that um, you know it, it's better for he, he wrote that it's better for you to be um, free of fear, lying upon a pallet, uh, than to have a golden couch and a rich table and, and be full of trouble. Right. So mm. for him, happiness requires this sense of tranquility, um, sort of freedom from fear um, and the absence of, of of pain. Whereas Aristotle, on the other hand, he defined happiness as a sort of lifelong pursuit of health and knowledge friend right. and so on um so so there's a few sort of themes that run through this idea of happiness but in in the modern sense in the psychological sense happiness at its core uh is an emotion that arises from from joy and contentment that life is somehow engaging and meaningful so it's it, it's a it's an emotional state, right? But sometimes we use this sort of interchangeably to also mean things like um, well-being, life satisfaction, and so on. Um, but interestingly, Martin Seligman, who is uh, the pioneer of positive psychology at Pennsylvania uh, University, right? He makes mention this idea that that happiness, positive emotion. Uh, is about 50% heritable, right? So you mm. you sort of start off life with a disposition or, or a tendency towards either being sort of more positive, um, more sort of receptive to happiness or less so. Um, and then he kind of describes positive emotion when we feel it um, as being like the first taste of, of ice cream. You know, when we first have the, the emotion of an experience, right. it's 100% full, right? Mm. But if we keep having the experience, pretty soon we adapt very quickly to it. So it sort of diminishes. Uh, right. If we're happy all the time. Uh, it, it sort of loses its flavor. Um, and, and he suggests that actually the best way to, to have lasting happiness is to find ways to uh, increase your state of flow or being in the zone. Um, mm. And that's, that's the way to sort of have a sort of, you know, a, a lasting sense of happiness rather than this kind of short-term quick fix of that positive emotion. Right. So I'm going to dive into that um, a, a more a little bit later, right? But from, you know, just from your overview, you know, different thinkers, different philosophers have different ideas of happiness. And I think that goes, it's the same for even, you know, regular people. Um, you ask one person from another, you know, what makes you happy? And I think people have different ideas of happiness. So what shapes one's idea of happiness? 
I, mean, I th- think there's several things that, that shape our idea of happiness, such mm-hmm. as certainly the environment we grew up in, right? Right. Um, that that's going to certainly entail messages of certain values being important or certain ways of looking at the world as being mm-hmm. important and how then you can derive uh, that, that sense of happiness. So, for example, in collectivist cultures, um, there might be uh, more happiness derived from things like social harmony, uh, community and family values, uh, whereas, on the other hand, individualistic cultures might prize more so uh, personal freedom right. uh, and personal fulfillment. Um, you know, and and in other ways, we might grow up with this idea that signs of a happy life might be seen in uh, the accumulation of material wealth, for example, mm-hmm. uh, which can be seen as a sort of uh, a sign of high status. While for other people that would come through things like spiritual, emotional maturity and well-being, uh, for example. Um, another thing might be the, the the kind of people that we look up to, right? Um, right. So, uh, for example, if, if I'm trying to help somebody discover what's important to them, let's say in, in therapy, uh, one of the questions I might ask them, and, and we might work on sort of exploring this a bit in, in, in the sessions, Tell me somebody or, or tell me, um, uh, you know, one or two people who you look up to in terms of their values, how right. they are, how they live. Um, you know, what is it about them that you would most like to emulate? Mm. Uh, you can also do the flip side to that, which is, you know, think of someone who you would absolutely not want to be like. Uh, right. And why is that? You know, so you start to get this kind of sense of, OK, th- th- this is the the sort of people that I look up to or the people that I would prefer to avoid and and this is why so you know when we're growing up when we're sort of engaging with people when we look up to celebrities or 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 religious figures or or sports people and so on we can kind of derive this idea of okay these people might um provide a certain direction for me or a sense of a direction for me in terms of how i want to be and then in terms of how that would shape my life in terms of happiness and meaning i want to dive into that you know, how that the question you you always like to ask in therapy, right? Who do you look up to? Who do you imitate? Because that's so fascinating, right? Because I think many people may not be cognizant of the fact that um, the people that we follow or, or really look up to, um, we tend to mirror or, or tend to emulate their idea of happiness, which is what you just brought up. That's so interesting. Could you dive into that a little bit more? Because it is like, Almost like saying that, let's say if person A, um, you know, he grew up uh, being exposed to, let's say, primarily, uh, you know, people, uh, let's say he 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 looks at his father who loves to read a lot of books. And then, um, you know, he, then, you know, you see fa- the family um, and, and, you know, always likes to go to the cinema, for example, to explore a lot of films. And then um, at home, they watch a lot of films um, and, and they go and they go and travel. They like to learn about certain cultures and, and things like that. That could shape your, your perception of happiness. And then on the other side, if you have, let's say, person B who, you know, growing up, um, his exposure to people being happy is, let's say, looking up to the likes of Dan Bilzerian. You know, there's this very popular American poker player known for his incredibly lavish lifestyles, you know, living on yachts um, and, and so on and so forth. That can actually shape how you um, perceive what happiness to be is. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, but but I think as well, we also have our own input, right? So right. people who look up to or want to emulate um, these sort of people who live lavish lifestyles and, mm-hmm. and materialistic lifestyles, um, there's a good chance, especially as you grow older, there's a good chance that you're going to recognize that this isn't as fulfilling as I first thought, right? I mean, we get this sense right. when in our teens and 20s and so on you know we want the latest gadgets we want to keep up we want to be shown to to be pursuing pleasures and enjoy for its own sake um but if if that remains superficial then there's something in us that sort of says at some point this isn't quite cutting it you know and mm. and i need to look for something deeper and i think to be fair um for a lot of young people uh today and, and not to sound like the old guy in the room but <laughs> But, uh, but but I think that, you know, especially young people who have a lot of convenience, a lot of material comfort, th- there's a real discontent there because uh, in, on the one hand, they, they do have quite a lot of um, ways that they can indulge and enjoy a comfortable life. Right. But then there's this kind of feeling of emptiness, right? Well, I have all this stuff. Now what, you know? So right. I think then it becomes... Um, really incumbent on ourselves to to think right okay what really matters to my life and i think to be fair to young people as well one thing that they are doing much earlier than previous generations is that they're realizing this quicker and they're Mm -hmm. realizing that you know life is more about trying to figure out my values and trying to figure out um, what kind of experiences i want to have in life rather than just chasing this sort of um sort of uh, commercialized consumerist sort of lifestyle of just having things, you know? Right. So I also want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your pers- innate personalities. You know, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, some people tend to be more naturally optimistic, um, some are more inclined to have a little bit more pessimistic, you know, some people are nihilist, things like that. I, I wonder if these types of personality traits also um influence um you know one's perception of happiness it, it's a good question and um it just so happens that i was reading uh, yesterday uh, mm-hmm. the, the book uh, called the science of feelings uh, right. which was my friend uh, dr eugene t mm-hmm. and uh, this this book has sort of caught fire it seems and it's been quite um you know the, the quite talked about um but th- there was an interesting section and if i can just read out a couple of points with regard right. to um, introversion and extroversion which i think um, people would find quite interesting so in his book um the science of feelings he writes um when it comes to our emotional experiences, introverts are wired differently from extroverts. Mm. Uh, introverts' brains uh, wiring are reliant on another uh, neurotransmitter, um, which means that our, their reward pathways are also longer, and therefore it takes longer time uh, to generate the positive emotional um, high relative to um, extroverts, right? Right. So having this kind of um, positive emotional high for introverts takes much longer to generate, right? Um, extroverts, on the other hand, they can they can um, they can get the sense of happiness, the sense of joy very quickly by mm. uh, you know, tapping into new experiences, meeting new people, um, having kind of novel experiences, and so on. Being in large groups, being re-energized. Whereas for for introverts, um, their their wiring actually makes it. Uh, a sort of more prolonged pursuit of that right. 
positive buzz, if you like. Um, so uh, Eugene kind of sums up the, the that sort of section by saying that, you know, extroverts recharged and are fueled by positive affect that comes often from frequent social interactions, and um, while introverts recharge and are refueled by positive affect that comes from quiet, solitary contemplation and minimally stimulating environments. So there's a kind of slow burn when it comes to introversion. And it, it, a lot of people uh, sort of misperceive that as being about shyness and sort of, you know, isolation. Right. But but it's, it's, it's different from things like social anxiety and so on. Um, introverts tend to just enjoy that kind of slow burn, you know, um, sort of reading for pleasure, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, maybe spending some time in an art museum. And it's not to mm -hmm. say that extroverts don't enjoy that uh, stuff themselves, but they would just generally derive more happiness, more pleasure by, you know, getting out of the house more, uh, engaging in, in sort of social activities more. Um, so however you're sort of wired personality-wise can certainly tap into how you would then um, pursue that sense of happiness and joy. Right. All right. So I want to ask you the big picture question now. Is the pursuit of happiness a meaningful goal? Quite an easy question to, <laughs> to, to, to segue into. Um, I think the, the, the pursuit of meaning is a happy goal. I think to reverse mm. it a little bit. Um, keeping in mind what we spoke about earlier right that happiness is an emotion uh it, it's a it's a fleeting thing um and it's it, it's not something that we can sort of turn on and off like a light switch um and i don't think it's it's an end in itself either it, it, it's a byproduct um as victor frankl says in his book uh, man's search for meaning that um happiness is a byproduct of of pursuing something larger than ourselves mm. um, it unfolds as a result of immersing yourself in something you know rather than something that you chase or bring about and i think that people who chase after positive emotion um as martin seligman would say that you know it, it just loses its flavor very quickly so you can right. pursue happiness and it might bring you um a lot of joy in the short term mm -hmm. but the chances are you're actually going to be more jaded and worn out um, there's there's a really interesting episode of uh, the, the the TV show uh, the Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. and this 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 gangster gets shot to death, and he is um, uh, sort of met in the the afterlife by a guide, and he's able to enjoy everything that he um, has ever wanted. It's just relentless happiness. Anything that he could want, he has. Um, and by the end of it, you know, he starts off being really delighted and excited by all this. But by the end of it, he's begging to go to hell because he says to the guy, you know, this is driving me nuts. There's no uh, there's no chance of things going wrong here. There's no chance of me not getting what I want. There's no chance of me getting caught. There's no excitement. I, I, I need to go to the other place. This is not for me. And the guy turns around to him and says, but you're, you're in the other place. This is hell. <laughs> uh, so so this idea that we have this sense of if we pursue happiness and feeling good all the time um, actually that, that would have the opposite effect in the end right alright that's a, I think that let's go for a very quick break on the show with me today is Sandy Clark he's a licensed counsellor after the break we will continue this conversation on if pursuing happiness um, is a meaningful goal or is the pursuit of happiness a meaningful goal keep it here on Today I Learned BFM 89.9 
Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan, and on the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor, and we're discussing the pursuit of happiness. So, Sandy, talk to me about um, the potential drawbacks or negative consequences associated with a relentless pursuit of happiness. This this pursuit of that good feeling that you get. Um, you know, um, when when something like, for example, when you get straight A's in your examination, there's that feeling that you get when you buy a new television. There's that feeling that you get. What is the? Are there any drawbacks associated with relentlessly pursuing this feeling? Yeah. So certainly, the the conscious pursuit of, of happiness can have um, some counterintuitive um, effects on, mm-hmm. on how we feel. Right. Um, there was a uh, 2011 study. People can check out. It's called. Uh, Can seeking uh, happiness make people happy? Paradoxical effects of valuing happiness. Right. Uh, This was a a, a study conducted at um, the University of California at at Berkeley. Uh, So they found that people who um, highly value their personal happiness tend to actually be less satisfied with their everyday lives and more likely to have depressive symptoms, Mm. even in times where um, they have relatively low stress events uh, in their lives. Um, they did another study which asked participants to read a paragraph about the benefits of feeling good. And then afterwards, they watched a, a feel good film. And um, the focus, having the focus on their own happiness had sort of diluted the joy of watching the film compared to people who had just been given like a, a dry article to read about right. the rational judgment. Right. So so this idea that the pursuit of happiness um can, can um, actually make people feel more lonely and stop them from enjoying everyday pleasures. Um, the, 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 there's a, uh, a sort of Buddhist scholar, his name is uh, Robert Thurman, mm-hmm. and he, he talked about happiness. Uh, he gave quite a good example. And he said that as soon as you start to evaluate your experience, as soon as you start to evaluate your happiness, it, it, it's gone. Right? And he said, mm-hmm. you know, imagine if you're having a massage, it's, it's a really pleasurable massage. Right, and it's for one hour or so, and you're thinking, you know, this is really nice, it's really enjoyable, uh, but there's only twenty more minutes to go, and you know, then I have to go and do this other thing. As soon as you start to place an evaluation on your happiness, it's gone, right? Because you're taken away from the experience, you've lost that sort of immersion in the experience. Right. So back to what Seligman said about being in the zone or being in a state of flow. When you, um, like if you go to a concert, right, the people who are recording the whole thing on their smartphone and never going to watch that clip again, (laughs) right, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to be much less um, appreciative of that. Uh, experience than the people who are just there enjoying the moment, right? Um, uh, for people who go see Coldplay or whoever else, like if you're there and you're just enjoying the experience, you're going to get much more satisfaction out of that than if you're taking sort of clips of it on your phone, um, you know, because you're not concentrating then on the experience, you're concentrating um, on, you know, what you can show off or what you can sort of, you know, uh, sort of give to other people in a sense, but in a very superficial way. So if you're just having a sort of uh, a, a sort of self-centered view of your own happiness, of your own sort of status, um, then you're going to be much less likely to actually be happier in the long run. So earlier when I asked, is the pursuit of happiness a meaningful goal, you sort of um, turned it around and uh, to to sort of um, steer us in a better direction where you said, you know, the pursuit of uh, meaning is a happy goal. So talk to me, um, 
you know, about this, the, the sort of differences um, between uh, finding a meaning in life, uh, a purpose in life, and the pursuit of happiness? And how do they sort of um, interlink with one another? Um, it, it depends how you use it uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of happiness, right? So life satisfaction is, of course, it's subjective. Um, if you're living in, in in line with what makes you feel engaged and, and fulfilled, then the happiness that comes with that is, is going to feed into your sense of well-being. So it's important to, to sort of state that it's not a black and white issue, right? That depending right. on what genuinely brings you a sense of fulfillment and engagement um, is going to feed into your your well-being and, and life satisfaction. That said, the, I mean, there were some original studies, for example, on um, comparing uh, people without children, for example, to people who um, have children. And what they found was that people without children sort of had a quote-unquote happier life, right, in in terms Mm -hmm. of there's less pressure, they can do what they want with their time and so on. Um, But the people with children um, sort of recorded a higher sense of life satisfaction um, because what they were engaged in from from their perspective was, okay, they were stressed, they were up against it a lot of the time, but this was something that brought them a deep sense of meaning, a deep sense of fulfillment, um, but, but again, it's, it's not um, black and white in that sense. So right. whatever genuinely ties into your sense of meaning, your sense of purpose, um, that that's going to sort of bring you a, a sort of feeling of happiness, a feeling of joy. Um, but let's say, for example, you had kids under pressure or under duress or because you just feel like that's the societal norm. Um then or or you 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 chose not to have kids just purely because you wanted to go against the societal norm but actually deep down you want to have kids um then if you're kind of going against your values or going against what you really would want to have in order to have a meaningful life then that's going to dilute your happiness further um but again if we come back to happiness as an emotion uh it can certainly motivate us to do more of what makes us feel fulfilled and accomplished um, it can move us towards sort of actions, behaviors, life decisions um, that sort of gives us that sense of life satisfaction uh, and, and well-being. So, for example, it can move us to volunteer, to live more, connect more with others and so on. So, again, it's not an end in itself, but it certainly can help us to achieve that sense of well-being and satisfaction. So you brought up a few different terms, right? Uh, and I think these terms are often lumped together. But I think, like you pointed out, there are differences. So what is the difference between well-being or, let's say, life satisfaction um, and happiness? I mean, you can you can look at happiness in, in, in two different ways, right? So mm-hmm. the, the happiness that I get from eating a bag of cookies is going to be sort of short-lived and temporary. Right. Um, you know, but if I, if I have a bit more of a, a sort of lasting sense of happiness where... Um, you know, maybe I'm exercising regularly and sort of enjoying the benefits from that and and engaging in, in other pursuits that might be challenging to a time mm-hmm. um, for, for a time. Um, like, like, for example, if, if you have a job that's meaningful, as I'm sure you certainly do and, and I certainly do, there will be times when, you know, it's just it feels so stressful at times. Right. There will be elements of it that we think, oh, you know, I, I should have gone and done some other job. Right. You'll, you'll have those <laughs> moments. But overall, you're going to you know be quite grateful, quite thankful for the job that you get to do, right? So, so whereas you may have some moments, some pockets of happiness, this idea of life satisfaction is essentially like 
you know, if, if you get up out of bed in the morning, are you content with how your life is? Are you, you know, grateful for the 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 things that you get to do? Are you grateful for the job that you get to do? Uh, so life satisfaction is a, a much more sort of uh, deeper, broader sense of, okay, you know, if I could, if I could sort of live this life again, then, you know, I might change one or two things, but I would be happy to live it again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, happiness, on the other hand, um, is more, the, the, again, the emotion, the sort of short-lived, temporary sort of feeling of pleasure, feeling of joy. If I was to eat cookies every day, I would soon end up unhappy and probably in hospital, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so it is important to have this kind of sense of a difference between what we mean by like happiness and life satisfaction because it's the life satisfaction and well-being for example as Seligman talks about so in positive psychology um Seligman would say that although positive emotions are important uh contributors to uh a sort of uh meaningful sort of happy life mm -hmm. they're not the most important part uh that, that, that we need to cultivate so that would be things like um cultivating cultivating sort of meaningful things in life uh, engaging pursuits in life so those are the sort of the the, the core uh things that are going to bring you lasting happiness chasing positive emotions uh although they can feed into as i said your your well-being and, and life satisfaction um, you know, if we're just constantly pursuing happiness for its own sake, then we're going to get the, the the reverse outcome of that. So, Sandy, how can individuals strike a balance between um, either, you know, pursuing either happiness or better yet, pursuing this life of um, this very balanced life of, of meaning, of purpose, of well-being, of life satisfaction, but also managing expectations, especially in a world that often promotes a very idealized version of happiness, especially through, you know, there's this lifestyle, social media influencers. Again, I, I, I talk about, you know, the Dan Bilzerians of the world, or even, you know, the, the Andrew Tates of the world, you know, where the, the, the image that they put out is, you know, we need a lot of yards we need the big we need to show off our cars show off our watches and and you know that's success and that's happiness and, and things like that um and, and that's I, i'm just giving two examples right of very prominent names but it is not just that it is all over uh um, um, the, the the social media spaces uh especially social media spaces how do we sort of maneuver that what strategies can people use to make the, the quote-unquote pursuit of happiness more sustainable and meaningful and something more true to themselves? I mean, th th those names that you mentioned, I, I think essentially what we have there is unhappy people talking to unhappy people. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that at their core, um, you know, if you're trying to convince people that my lifestyle is the way for you to be happy, um, then, then chances are you're not happy yourself, right? Because again, you wouldn't be spending all your time evaluating and analyzing and and, and trying to convince people. You'd just be living your life, right? Right. Um, so, and, and I think that, I, I mean, these kind of people succeed because they essentially target discontented, uh, dissatisfied people who, uh, you know, quite possibly are are, are sort of experiencing some experiencing some kind of anger or bitterness or sense of unfairness in their own life so this idea that if you could just get this stuff if you could just be more happy if you could just you know be the man or be the woman or whatever then your life will be sorted 
Mm. And I think, again, that's absolutely not going to work. And I suspect it doesn't really work for them either. Um, So I I think to begin, we need to start by recognizing that we are constantly sold this message that we're meant to be happy and positive all the time. And and we're not. We're absolutely not. Um, To to lead a sort of meaningful life, um, we have to kind of embrace the the, the full range of human emotion and experiences, right? Um, You know, and and like we spoke about earlier, the constant pursuit of, of happiness is going to it's likely to leave you less happy right mm. um I, if i might sort of just switch gear for for a second to to sort of demonstrate this right so um we're talking about expectations right uh, if you think about the world of academia for example in universities um academics are sort of um uh, prized and despised uh, built on their <laughs> Their ability to to publish right right um, but if you look at uh, for example the biochemist um, Kathleen Carrico who recently won the Nobel in physiology and medicine mm-hmm. uh, alongside her colleague Drew Wiseman for their work that helped create the COVID vaccines so this was work that began in the late 1980s right um, but Kathleen uh, Carrico was demoted four times at um, Penn University because her work wasn't seen as important. It could, so she couldn't get much grant money. So she was essentially pushed out in, in a sense. Um, Peter Higgs, who um, whose work sort of led to the discovery of, of this so-called sort of, um, uh, Higgs particle, uh, he was the same. In, in 1964, he and his colleagues proposed this theory about the existence of a particle that explains why other particles have a mass, right? But that right. wasn't confirmed until 20, 2012, and then he won the Nobel Prize the following year in physics. And and so uh, both Peter Higgs and um, Kathleen Carrico have this attitude where you have to sort of, you know, sort of find a way to leave aside um, the expectations, the sort of superficial expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And chase the work or pursue the work for its own end, right? Feynman was the same. He would say that the, the, the pleasure, the reward is in the work. It's, it's in what you find meaningful. Right. So when we, so when we have the sense of um, people throwing expectations at us, and certainly social media can be terrible for that. So one strategy that you could you could apply is, you know, try and minimize your your kind of exposure to those kind of accounts because mm-hmm. they're not going to lead you to a place of happiness. And in, in fact, they're pretty much going to steal, uh, uh, you know, sizable chunks of your time so that you're you're just less miserable because you're doing less and you're you're focusing on less that's actually meaningful to you. Because right. let's face it, I, I don't think neither you know yourself or or or, or me, you know, I, I'm not going to be having the same kind of, you know, monetary fortune (laughs) people that you've talked about, right? And and that's perfectly fine. Um, So I can let go of that expectation and say, right, okay, what really matters to me? What do I really want to focus on? Um, uh, As as Oliver Berkman talks about in his book, uh, 4,000 Weeks, uh, we don't have as much time as we think. So, you know, what are you going to spend the time on that's really going to help you feel a sort of lasting sense of joy, a lasting sense of pleasure, and a last a lasting sense of meaning. Um, the, the, there's always, I mean, to me, the, the very few things are 100% true, but I would suggest that, you know, trying to cultivate a sense of meaning and, and joy and happiness by um, imitating other people who possibly don't have the, your best interests at heart um, is, is absolutely not going to lead you to where you want to go. And this imitating other people thing, right? I think it's very interesting and, and important because, uh, so I just uh, like a, a very small conversation 
um, between a friend and I, just, just from a couple of years ago, where, um, you know, I just asked her, how, you know, I think it was during the pandemic or, or something like that. I asked, like, asked her how is she doing uh, and, and all of that. And, and uh, you know, she she said like she's not doing too well and i asked her why and she said you know she she goes on instagram and and she sees you know uh, um, so and so um people and, and it's a lot of them right on on platforms like instagram um, all these lifestyle influencers for example um and and she was saying that you know i see these people they are going to you know these big fancy dinner places um you know wearing all these big fancy um, you know, dresses and, and, and clothing um, and, and you know, and their proposals are these big fans at these, these big fancy hotels and these big fancy holidays uh, and big fancy things. And, you know, it's, it's, that's what they're seeing. And, and she says, I don't have that. And I don't feel, and I don't know how to feel. Uh, I, I, you know, how, how would you respond to that? Because I think, in a lot of these spaces, if if there are sort of um, equal, uh, you know, ideas, right, given to all different kinds of people who are posting different types of holidays, they are uh, pursuing what they, uh, you know, different people with different kind of uh, ideas of happiness. Uh, maybe for some people, it's really just, um, you know, playing a music instrument at home, for example. You know, it could be simple things. Or some, for some people, it could be spending time with your family. For some people, it, it's like, you know, watching films um, and, and things like that or, or reading books uh, and going on picnics. And then, and then yes, other people, it's, it's this lavish or whatever, whatever. But the problem is it feels like these spaces are mostly filled with these um, um, sort of hyper-consumerist ideas. Um, um, especially on social media, right? Um, so what advice would you give my friend if, if she had told you what she told me? Well, f first of all, I would probably ask, what is it about those experiences that you're seeing mm -hmm. uh, that make you want to go after them, right? So what is it? What, what, what's the thing that you're chasing? What's the what's the value? What's the purpose? What is it that you would want to get from, from that kind of experience, right? Um, and, and to get a real sense of what ma matters to that person. Um, and, and then maybe sort of to discuss. I mean, I think, again, first of all, I, I think it's really important to, to recognize that a lot of these people who are posting on Instagram and so on, I mean, I, and I've seen these people on holiday as well, right? So they spend uh, loads of time trying to set up the perfect shot and, and they, <laughs> maybe they don't even go into the very fancy shop, right? But they're, they're very careful to get the, 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 the brand and the logo into the, the picture right. and maybe they're in the store and holding a pair of shoes or whatever. So, you know, how realistic is what you're seeing is, is a good thing to keep in mind. Um, and again, if if, if these people um, need to feel like they constantly have to be um, showing off their life on social media as, as realistic or otherwise as it might be, um, then you know are, are they really enjoying themselves? Um, but because essentially they, they're they're trying to say, look at me, look what I've got, look what I'm doing. Um, in my opinion, and you know certainly it's just a subjective opinion, but if you're feeling the need to do that constantly, you're probably not in a great place. Um, so I, I think it's kind of recognizing to begin with, look, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. What you're seeing on social media is not necessar ne necessarily um, the reality. But I would I would probably sort of say to the, the, the person, you know, what is it that matters to you? You know, I'd, I'd kind of try and break that down. 
and then right in, in your sort of life in your circumstance and environment and so on um how can you sort of begin to live more uh in line with what matters to you right because you know this is this idea that comparison is is the thief of joy and and if you are looking to other people um in terms of having this envy and stuff and, and certainly from about 2010 uh, the, the the social psychologist um Jonathan Haidt um has has written some uh, interesting work on the idea that in, in this sort of explosion of social media this is where uh, mental health uh, problems have kind of skyrocketed especially among young females right um so uh, th this idea that that young people today are actually more anxious more depressed than even their grandparents and right who grew up in like very kind of austere and difficult times right um because there is this constant comparison so i i, I would sort of sort of you know advise well maybe again limit your exposure to that that what you're seeing um have an idea of of what it is that underlies that that desire for for what those people have and then within your circumstance and context see what how you can really get more of what you value into your life um or is there something is that desire for the lavish lifestyle or for the sort of fancy holidays and so on is that covering up for something that you're really missing you know is it, is it a distraction um so there's so many ways you can look at that um uh but, but i would start by asking you know what is it that makes you want this stuff beyond just the superficial happiness mm. I think my next question ties um, to the previous one. And I want to talk a little bit about the commodification of happiness. Um, because in a capitalist framework, especially a hyper-capitalist one, right, the pursuit of happiness often involves consumerism and materialism. I'm wondering how does the commodification of happiness impact individuals and society? And does it detract from genuine well-being and social equality. Because today, um, you know, and for decades now, you know, for, from Christmas to Valentine's Day um, to the idea of diamond rings during weddings, these are all um, proven to be marketing and advertising schemes, right? There's loads of research done on this. Even the di di diamond ring um, on, on during wedding, it, it's just an advertising scheme, right? But people hold on to it so closely I'm wondering if the commodification of happiness impacts a, a sort of genuine uh, well-being and, and social uh, equality or a people's um, uh, sort of perspective towards these things. The the diamond ring example is is quite um, is, is quite important, right? Um, mm -hmm. Why is it that we value compressed carbon so much? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's made of the same stuff as your shopping bags, right? Uh, it, it's um. It, in fact, the 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 Buddhist abbot who who sort of looks after the um, the monastery that I used to spend some time at in the UK, his I think one of his relatives was um, an executive in in, in a, a a diamond uh, company, mm -hmm. and he he when he was younger he had this idea that he might go and work for this company, um, but there was something kind of uh, sort of stirred inside him when one day he was um, on a bus in London. And he saw a billboard uh, with the slogan. It was a, a woman wearing a, I think it was a diamond necklace. And right. the slogan was something like, um, uh, if you don't buy your wife a diamond, somebody else will, right? <laughs> so that's that's the that that's the wow. slogan. It's kind of built on the fear, right? And, right. and he realized then that mm, maybe this is not the route I should go down. Um, so, and, and that's pretty much advertising in a nutshell, right? It, mm -hmm. it's, it's, 
if you don't do this, then this will happen. Or, you know, if you do this, then you're going to be much more happy. You're going to be much more fulfilled. And I think that while capitalism and economic growth can certainly contribute to um, improved standards of living and increased access to to resources, commodification of happiness through that consumerism and materialism has very complex uh, consequences. So I think that it, it can provide temporary and superficial happiness, but it can also lead to a lot of negative outcomes, such as um, financial stress, right? So you see this, uh, especially for parents nowadays, uh, when their kids want the latest smartphones or gadgets, <laughs> and they're upgraded all the time, right? And certainly these companies know what they're doing, um, even though it doesn't really change, like your device doesn't change that much, right? So, right. So, but, but you want the updated, you want to be kind of keeping up with everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also certainly the, the cost of, you know, the raw materials through to the, the end product can lead to sort of environmental degradation um, and consequences that we're sort of just beginning to really understand. Um, and, and as you mentioned, it can also sort of detract from uh, well-being through social um, inequality. So, you, you know, it, it sort of it creates this kind of divisiveness. It creates this sort of, um, you know, you need to be constantly pushing and progressing and upgrading and updating um, to sort of make sure you stay ahead of the curve. That's how mm. you're going to be happy, right? But actually, this this kind of mindset um uh, the the Buddhist monk Ajahn Chah, um, he had a great saying. He, he had a great line. He said that, you know, usually uh, the stuff that we run towards to become more happy is usually the stuff that takes us into further suffering. Right. So the stuff that you think you're chasing after that's going to make you feel better, make make you feel happier. Um, that's the thing that's going to cause you more problems, more suffering. Um, you know, so I think that the pursuit of genuine well-being and social equality might require a shift in focus from material possessions to more intrinsic sources of happiness and reevaluation of of like societal values. Because I mean, I, I know sort of plenty of people over the years who have you know more money than they can count, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, in, in their quiet moments, I mean, some of them genuinely are happy because they they use that sort of um, resource to. Um, pursue meaningful experiences or to help right. people like the the they pursue the, the 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 idea from adam smith which i think he said something like um uh capitalism could work if it's used for noble purposes you know if we invest right here if we invest in education so for adam smith capitalism itself or the free market wasn't a bad thing but it's how it's used mm-hmm. um so you see people with 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 enough money and and you know they can be happy content meaningful when they pursue those kind of goals right helping out people uh contributing uh giving back and also enjoying themselves right but if you also get people who i mean i i, I know one guy who um, bought a, a Rolex watch and it cost the, the world. I mean, this is more money than I'm going to see, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember sort of he showing me the watch and I, and I was, you yeah, know, that's a nice watch. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of my reaction. You know, Absolutely. It, 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 it's a watch, right? Um, and and so you could kind of see in, in, in his own reaction that, yeah, that's the kind of reaction I've been getting, you know, <laughs> showed this watch. Like, what do you expect fireworks and people to do? wheels it's a watch right? um yes it's going to appreciate in value perhaps in time to come but really <laughs> so so i i think again there's nothing wrong with with that kind of pursuit if that's what genuinely brings you happiness then more power to you but right 
is that genuinely bringing you happiness or is it the thing that you're using to chase happiness right there's a there's a there's a a difference there um but i think overall um if we're going to have sort of you know uh, more equity in society if we're going to have more general well-being if we were to look at a sort of um you know a sort of happiness quotient throughout the, the, the country let's say um i think we really have to sort of shift the sort of superficial value or we have to sort of come away from the superficial values that we think take us into happiness into joy into success when really um you know it actually has the opposite effect before we wrap this conversation up, Sandy, would you have a final message for us and also um, a couple of books or so to recommend, if any? Oh, I have quite a few books to recommend. I've Wonderful. Quite, quite a lot uh, recently. <laughs> so I'll recommend four, first of all, and then I'll okay. finish off with um, a, a few thoughts. Um, so I, I think that uh, The Science of Feelings by uh, Dr. Eugene T, I think that's, that's a, a, a tremendous book in terms of, uh, it's a really accessible read in terms of, you know, why do we feel the emotions that we feel and, and what purpose do they serve? And what are the, some of the misunderstandings that we that we um, have about emotions and so on? So it's a brilliant book for, for gaining a real deep sort of appreciation and understanding of emotions. Um, the Sweet Spot by Paul Bloom is really good in the sense that uh, he, he talks about this idea of, look, life is suffering and life is about choosing your suffering, right? About choosing the stuff that's meaningful and challenging and satisfying. It is going to, uh, you know, you're not going to be walking in on sort of sunshine and rainbows forever. Um, right. So you have to kind of take a bit more control and think, right, what's the kind of suffering, what's the kind of challenge in my life that's worth taking up, right? Mm -hmm. um, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman is, is just an incredible book in terms of, it, it takes a very different approach to things like time management and how we think about, uh, you know, how we spend our time with people, with work, uh, social activities and so on. And finally, How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life by Russ Roberts, mm -hmm. uh, which again is another really powerful book uh, in terms of uh, how we think about happiness and meaning in our lives. Um, in terms of uh, sort of final uh, thoughts, um, I, I think, again, to, to, to be aware that we are constantly sold through advertising and other ways that happiness is, we should always be happy, we should always be positive. Um, but that's neither possible, nor would you want that to be the case. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's much better to think of your life in terms of, what is it that's going to bring you um, most meaning and engagement? What is it that you can do, uh, you can immerse yourself in that, that's really going to give you that sense of, you know, I, I get a real sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. Now, of course, there, there are times where you're going to have to meet certain expectations at work and so on. And, right. So those have to be met, right? There's no choice. But in, in but even in even in that kind of context, in that kind of situation, can you find something within that that you can connect with? That right? Okay, this is what I'm doing here really matters, or what I'm doing here kind of makes a, dif a difference in some way. Mm -hmm. um, if you can sort of focus on that, um, if you can focus on the sense of you know, th this is what I really get out of bed for in the morning. This is what really kind of takes me in this direction of who I want to become. Then I think you're going to be much more satisfied in, in that sense than the guy who's forked out a fortune for a watch. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I, th I think for me, that would be the takeaway. Sandy, thank you so much as always for joining me. Thank you for having me. 
That was Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.